Hello and welcome to the IOTA Unum podcasts from the Latin Mass Society. In the company of some great friends of tradition from around the world, we will be drilling into some of the fundamental issues affecting us today in the church and the world. In the last podcast, I discussed with Professor Lazou the concept of a Catholic community. In the second half of our conversation, which we present next, I wanted to ask him about asceticism, which is related to the sacrifices which Catholic families attached to the ancient liturgy often find themselves obliged to make for the sake of this liturgy. To say, you know, we, we are, um, you know, families attached to the, to the, the traditional um, liturgy um, uh, are characterised by, by this devotion to the liturgy, of course. Uh, by, you know, often they travel long distances to get to it. Um, as I just mentioned, they can move from what, you know, to, to different parts of the country in order to get it more easily. They often are, are homeschooling, not always, but often they're homeschooling their children. That's not easy. Um, they can attract the you know, criticism of you know, their own families. Um, people in the street um, can criticize them, um, ridicule them even for um, you know, their, their, their lifestyle choices, their children, the uh, number of children they have. Um, it's a it's a sacrifice that people make. It's it's a it's a difficult thing to do, um, and I think this is not perhaps appreciated, you know, in the discussions that people have on you know on Twitter and elsewhere about oh the you know the trads you know and and, and they're kind of uh, you know traditional Catholics are annoying in one way or another, um, or or you know they ought to do things differently. Well, actually, I think that um, you know without being smug. On a personal level, I think many traditional families um, need to be congratulated uh, for making a huge sacrifice for the faith as they understand it to be. And furthermore, their understanding is not a personal you know, choice. It's a deliberate act of submission on their part to the tradition. They see what how Catholics lived in the past. They see the teaching of the Popes over the centuries, and they say, "This is what I want for myself and my family," um, and it's it's a kind of um, sacrifice which a lot of people don't understand. So I, I wanted to ask you, Robert, about asceticism, about this whole issue of giving up things which are in themselves not necessarily evil. You know, money is not evil in itself. Um, leisure, um, a comfortable home, um, having a short commute to work. There's nothing wrong with that. And yet these are things which people are prepared to give up um, for some good reason. Um, and asceticism is not a word which we find often on the lips of uh, theologians, priests, bishops um, today. What is asceticism? Actually, it's a form of mortification, of renunciation to some licit things. Uh, for sure, it's always implied that the person who is doing this actually have rena has renounced to any illicit things, everything that was evil. But now we are talking about licit things. Yes. Everything that you have mentioned in order to get uh, to attain a superior um, uh, superior spiritual level to to get holy to become holy and that's 
based always on the spirituality of the cross. It's absolutely impossible to talk about Christian values, about Christian faith, without talking about the Holy Cross. And I suppose that this is the best occasion to mention uh, something like this, precisely because we are entering into the Holy Week. It's, uh, it's, uh, we are going uh, precisely to celebrate the sacrifice of our King and Lord on the cross. And this is the supreme model for us. And as St. John of the Cross himself mentioned, it is not possible to live a Christian life without the cross. We have to learn this and we have to understand this. And there are two kinds, let's say that there are two kinds of crosses. It's one for those who live a celibacy life, a life of, uh, uh, of, life of persons who just have chosen to, uh, to be alone, let's say, without a wife or without, without a husband, as it's the case of monks and nuns. Or it's the cross that's specific for the families. It's another way of, of getting and uh, going through the life on the cross. And this is something very difficult to understand for a modern person or for a postmodern person. Why? Because everyone in the media, everyone, everywhere is talking just about uh, how to be successful, just how to get as much uh, pleasures, as much health, as much comfort as possible. So if possible, no, uh, no sacrifices. Uh, there is no place to mention uh, all the burdens that are specifics for real Christians. These things are completely disliked and is somehow specific and proper to our fallen nature. We don't like the cross, that's the truth. But at the same time, there is no other way. If we are trying just somehow to put the cross aside, we will pay sooner or later for this. It's not possible actually to live without the cross. It's mandatory. And this is the core of Christian asceticism. Asceticism is any ascesis, is the original word, and actually it designates the renunciation. It's related to the fact that that one who is going to become an asset uh, renounced many things that for people who are living in the world are just licit and uh, pleasant. And uh, people usually don't, uh, don't uh, live without them. Then they, they like to have them. They like to have good uh, and big and wonderful houses, comfortable houses. They, they like to be, if possible, rich. And we can understand that, humanly speaking. But when it's about being a Christian, a true one, you have to, to make some strong choices. For instance, in the case of those who are married, for families, the most important choice it, is to accept the Christian definition and the Christian goal, the Christian axis of the family. And the family, based on it's a classical definition, has three goals. The main one is the procreation, is the transmission of life. That's the main goal. This thing implies that a Christian life usually is a large family, even is a poor family. So this is not debatable. It's not something that's just optional, so to say. You can have it or not if you are a healthy married couple. No, it's something that's crucial for a family. 
Yes, but this come with some costs and especially with the cost of uh, not being rich because with uh, some we, we, for a family with many children, usually uh, it's, it's normal to be poor, not to be rich because it's very hard to have many children without uh, uh, being a, a poor family. It's very, very difficult. It's not easy, especially in our conditions. And that's why it is important to understand that this isn't a thing that's not optional and we have to deliberately uh, choose it and to live in according with it. And this is very difficult, especially if you don't have a community of large families who really encourages you to live okay. your life as a large family. That's the main problem, I guess. For instance, in the life of my, my wife, I can say that the most difficult thing, the most difficult uh, fight is that with being alone as a mother of seven in a country as Romania. Yeah. Many people just put us aside in the past precisely because that. Many of our friends, why do you have so many children? Man, this is not something good. This is not modern. It's not in accordance without current, pos current possibilities, etc. I, I, I'm sure that you know many other uh, examples of this type of conversations. They are un unavoidable and understandable because for people nowadays, this is something completely uncommon to see just to meet a large family. And especially, secondly, not just my wife, but my ch our children suffered a lot because of this, because they were mocked. We, we don't have in Romania the possibility to, to educate our children at school. We cannot do homeschooling. It's completely forbidden here because we are still living under a sort of uh, law that's just uh, uh, the continuation of the communist rule. So the state is everything in everywhere and, and everywhere here, unfortunately. So uh, homeschooling is not possible here as in Germany and in other European country. Yes. So the children, they have to go to the public schools and they were mocked and they were in very bad situations and they really disliked this, the public schools. And they told us, especially the old ones, they told me, but dad, you know, it was so hard and so bad. And uh, it's not just about the fact that they were mocked, etc., but the temptations and everything, because uh, other children, for sure, they lived in accordance with the, the values of their families. So it, it, it's very, very difficult without community to live as a good Catholic family, a large Catholic family. Yes. And I suppose that we have, again, to emphasize the fact that you, you mentioned, uh, uh, as a note, that's the, the question, that uh, issue of uh, who's first, the egg of the chicken. <laughs> Actually, I suppose that we cannot separate them. It's impossible. Actually, you cannot separate an egg from her chicken and uh, the chicken from uh, the egg. No, it's not possible. <laughs> Actually, they are together. Yes. This, yes. These uh, issues are together. You cannot be a holy family, a real holy Catholic family without a strong community. And you cannot have a good Catholic community without holy families. Yes. Yes. Well, but and although, I mean, having said that, Robert, I mean, you yourself are an example of you know, of, of, of a family that has managed to 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 negotiate the, the you know the, the difficulties of modern life without a a concrete local geographically local community 
if something like this happens, it's more or less a miracle. Right? <laughs> so yes. I can say that. Yeah. And this is just a proof that God's grace is strong and works. Yeah. And that's very good. But at the same time, doesn't seem that God really likes uh, people who or families who are living alone or isolated. Actually, it's an invitation for all of, all of us to be together and to find ways to get together and to create communities. The apostles, for instance, they were strong, extraordinary personalities, but they actually created communities, local communities. And I suppose that's the way to do the things in, in Christianity. And when it's about asceticism, if you are going to have a large family, you will become an asset in your proper way. Because I just remember the nights when our children were, were very, very small. And it was uh, uh, all the time someone who was crying in our home day and night. And I, I know it, that you and any other one who live in a large family knows that. Yes. It's a very strong experience. It's a sort of invol involunt involuntary asceticism. But it's so uh, healthy and it's so helpful in order to understand that we do not live in an egocentric manner just for us. Yes. We live for the others. And that's extraordinarily important for a Christian. Yes. Without yes. learning them, actually, I don't think that we are real. We can, become, uh, we can become real Christians. That's the major lessons. And on the cross, actually, uh, our Lord, Jesus Christ himself, shows us exactly that thing he died for us and that's the main lesson of the christianity he lived and he died for us and we have to do the same in a way or another and in a family we are doing that for our children for our beloved ones for i am doing that for my wife she's doing that for me and that's the way of doing things in in uh, in a christian large family and i suppose that this is the thing that we have to emphasize, uh, Joseph. Yeah, yes, yeah. it's very difficult. And our Lord, in any way, um, doesn't uh, hide this, doesn't put this under uh, a covering. No, uh, it will be difficult. And the situation of a Christian, actually, in the world, in the fallen world, is really difficult. And it's a, it's a strong fight to remain and to live as a Christian in, in a world, in this world, in this fallen world. But at the same time, we have God's grace and we have to learn to live based on that. And I suppose that the first thing that a large family will learn is to pray. I discussed this just a few weeks ago with my wife, which is the most thing, what was the most important thing in our life, in our family life? And we couldn't find other better answer than this one word, prayer. We learned how to pray. And we do that on a daily basis, continually, day and night sometimes. Why? Because we are poor, because we are afraid to be in such a world, because we are isolated, because we do not have access as, access as you have to uh, the liturgy of the ages and to those people who are fond of tradition. So it's very, very difficult. And more than that, we are living in a, in a country that's not Catholic, actually. 
Yes. So in in a way of other, we are a minority in every case. <laughs> yes. So it's very very difficult, but uh, through prayer, and prayer is the basis because we don't have uh, the liturgy of the ages. So we have learned that. That's one thing. And the second one is the fact that we cannot live just for us, individually speaking. We live for our children first of all. We live for one for another one. My wife lives for me and I live for her. So these are very important practical lessons and forms of concrete and maybe involuntary in some respect, under some respect, asceticism. So we yes. are not monks, we are not nuns, but we are doing that. Yes, there's a, thank you very much, Robert. There's a, there's a lot I'd like to, I'd like to explore some of those things um, that you've just said. I think that that's, that's tremendously valuable. I think, um, um it's it's an interesting it's an interesting paradox that that, that we choose this way of life you know, we choose to get married we, we, we choose, choose to, to to live in, in accordance with the, the the spirit of the the church teaching on um you know on, on openness to life for example um we don't choose that our you know baby wake up at three o'clock in the morning um and with a you know, teething pains um and um it's the unchosen um spiritual way to sort of say it's the unchoosen um penis, penance is it can be better than the ones we choose for ourselves in a general way we do choose in a specific but way. we accept it we do exactly but we accept it that's we important we accept it as a as a as the as the condition of uh, of the way of life to which we feel called um, and I, I think and this is this is something which I like the, the way I like to express some of some of this one aspect of this is that um, people get married, uh, Christians get married, Catholics get married and because they, they, they feel it's God's will um, it's the right thing for them to do. What does that mean? What kind of vocation is that? Well, I mean, all sorts of things which can, you know, which can which can interfere. But the, the married vocation is to family life. And that involves openness tonight. That involves obviously having having children, and that's something which you, has to set the, the the condition for the rest of what one does. You know, for the holidays you can have, the jobs you can use, you can you can um, take, um, and everything else that you you do. That you've you've got this thing which which has to come first. Actually, in the end, it has to come first. It's your primary um, <clears throat> obligation and um, and that will be your mode of sanctification just as if you are a monk it will be through you know the office and the community life of, of your monastery um, yes you're as a married person we're, we're going to be sanctified through our marriages through our families not in some other way strange way you know not 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 by you know, not, not by the by the means which would be adopted by you know one of the Egyptian fathers in the desert. Obviously not. So um, I know that in, in this country, one I don't know. Perhaps it's a kind of hopeful hopeful thing. I I, I saw a, um, a, an explanation of of of, of family sizes um, in a um, with, with a graph of income um, and. Um, in the West, we've got to the point where um, 
families have got so small that the um, the very richest people in society actually have larger number of children than others. Um, and an obvious example of that is the, the, the David Beckham and Victoria Beckham. They've they got five children. Um, and it's, it's you know, why? Well, because among other, among other pressures, social pressures, there's the very strong financial pressure in that um, in a traditional society, in undeveloped, in economically traditional society, I should say, um, children are an asset to their parents from a quite an early age because they can help at the workshop and on the farm. Um, yes. And then later on, they, they support their parents. Whereas with compulsory education and um, state pension, um, it's flipped over on the other side. So they are a burden to you and there's no prospect of a financial uh, return even later yes. life I, I, there are other benefits of course but nevertheless the, the financial incentives have been turned on their head so now for the beckhams to have all these children is is well it's it's partly possible because i mean you know, apparently they're good people i don't know beckhams but for you know rich people in general it makes sense because they don't need to worry it's almost a display of wealth so people often say to um, you know, to each other, to us. Um, oh, wouldn't it have been nice to have another child, you know, or to have more children? Um, but of course, we couldn't have afforded it. Um, and it, it, you know, is that really true? Um, well, what they mean is they would have had to embrace a life of material relative deprivation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, not real deprivation. I mean, not, they wouldn't suddenly be transported to kind of famine-stricken Ethiopia, or but they're relative. They wouldn't have been able to have some of the nice things they would otherwise have had. And one of the things I often say, uh, you know, we all often say to people who make these, oh, oh, um, you have to be rich to have a large family. Actually, the families that we know, who uh, have, you know, the couples who have lots of children, um, many of them, in fact, all of them that I know personally, they're quite poor. Yes. Um, and it's it's perhaps not a coincidence, therefore, you, you, it's very difficult to have two incomes, not impossible, perhaps are very difficult to have two incomes. If you've got a large family, wife can't be in full time employment um, as well as the husband. Um, so you're not going to get so many of these foreign holidays. You're not going to have two cars in a driveway. You're not going to have, you know, the things that, you know, we in the first world, you know, we in this very, very wealthy country, um, aspire to um, and it's 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 on the one hand yeah it's a choice it, it's not something that that, that we know it, it, it's, it's not some just it's a bad luck um, but it's a sacrifice it's a sacrifice for something we think is good um, it's a sacrifice we think is worthwhile but it's still a sacrifice and it's a sacrifice which is associated with our vocation yes yes absolutely and a sacrifice and a conversion. Yes. It's a, it's a real conversion. It's a process for sure, but it's a conversion. It's a conversion from, uh, let's say, comfortable life with all the usual things that are implied by this and a life that actually doesn't have uh, too many vacations, doesn't have too nice cars, doesn't have too big houses, etc. Yeah. So it's a conversion and it's a completely modification of standards. 
you have to think about um, uh, how to live um, with many children, with a large family, uh, by having just what, what is really the basics, what are really the, the basic necessities of, of a life. And actually that's the, the, the school, that's the lesson. Yes, and that's yes. uh, very difficult. That's why it's difficult because uh, many people actually nowadays are learned by our world that actually they can desire almost everything, even the moon on the sky if possible. Yes. And this is not uh, the way of uh, our Christian life. That's for sure. No. And especially if we pray and if we want to pray uh, powerfully to Saint Joseph, for instance, and uh, when we are saying the litany to Saint Joseph, there is a line that says, Saint Joseph, the lover of um, of poor life. Lover so of poverty. This is exactly, of poverty, of a poor yes. life. That's something almost inconceivable for us. Yes. How to life to be poor? And I can understand that. It's a real no. challenge because everything actually in Christianity is challenging. There is nothing comfortable. It's not something for this world. It's something for the other world. It's something for an extraterrestrial world, so to say, with completely different rules. It's a spiritual one. Yes. So it's challenging indeed, but it is possible. And I can, I can show that just by example. And I was inspired, and I, I, I am very happy that I can say this, uh, by... Uh, a sort of, it was a speech delivered by Pope Pius XII uh, around 1950s in the front of the Italian Association of Large Families. So mm -hmm. there was in Italy, in that period of time, such an association. And Pope Pius XII delivered a speech to, the, to all those families that uh, went together, uh, gathered together just to, to, to be together with the Holy Father, Pius XII. And in that speech is a memorable sentence, and that sentence influenced and changed my life. In that sentence, Pope Pius XII says precisely this. For poor families, it's an extraordinary challenge to accept all their children. It's really difficult. But at the same time, they have to be sure that the Holy Providence, God himself, will provide the minimum that's necessary to keep your family. That's what Pope Pius XII said around 1950s to that Italian association of large families. And I, we can easily suppose that many of those families were poor families after the Second World War in Italy was yeah. really bad. Was really bad. No, no possibility to make a comparison to nowadays Italy. It was very, very poor, a very poor country, many, many problems, as all other countries after the Second World War, but Italy especially. So that was a sort of encouragement and at the same time a lesson of faith that we have to, 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 to have a strong belief in the divine providence. As of, of course, uh, that's not an invitation to be lazy. That's not an invitation to, to, to avoid uh, any type of associations, I will suggest that this is a, point, a, a thing that can be solved just in a, in a community. Why? Because I mentioned 
that the economic community and the way of doing business together was specific for all the, the, the ancient communities, Christian communities. They work together. And this is something that we have to learn, I guess, if we want to, to have good conditions for our families. Because if we learn, and now I'm talking especially uh, to men's, to fathers, if we learn to work together and to do, to do businesses together and to develop businesses together, maybe we'll be able to find ways to provide everything that's necessary to large families, including those of our children who will have their own families. I'm, I'm in, actually in that situation. Our daughter, we have six boys and one daughter and our daughter uh, got married and now uh, she is uh, waiting uh, her child to be born. So we'll become uh, <laughs> grandparents. That's amazing for us. Congratulations. But, yes, thank you very much, Joseph. That's, that's wonderful. But they will be able to have large families too, like us, if we'll be able to organize together and to have businesses together. And this is another thing to be discussed, I guess. Are we able to do that? Because we have some professional competencies. We can do things together. But let's see if we can really uh, feel that emergency of the current situation in order to act together. I suppose that this is the main problem. And this is the thing that we have to move uh, somehow through our uh, discussion here and to help it. Well, indeed, I mean, the, the, the first thing we need is, is, is even to, to have the kind of association with each other where we get to know each other. Yes, sure. At, at least for sure. a little bit. <laughs> we can't yes, for sure. Do much beyond that. And I, I, I think I, I don't want this, this, this discussion to, to, to sound to, to listeners too negative or despairing. And I, I should perhaps say something about the, you know, the, 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 the ways that this is happening, actually, and has for many, many years happened in the traditional milieu. Um, we get together in the, for example, the Chartres pilgrimage. Every year there are 8,000, 12,000 people who go to, who walk from uh, Paris to Chartres um, in the, the pilgrimage of the um, uh, Notre Dame de Chrétienté. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, for, particularly for the for French traditionists, but also for others from all over Europe um, and beyond, you, you see the same people over and over again. You, you renew your links of friendship with people who you are only in touch with by email um, and, and so on and so forth. And it's a, it's a real bond of a shared experience. And um, just to talk in natural terms, I mean, and in supernatural, of course, it's, 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 it is an amazing experience. Um, of course, it's not happening this year. Didn't happen last year in the normal way um, because right. of the coronavirus. But this is a terribly important institution, um, and it has many imitators. So there is a you know walking pilgrimages in Russia and in 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 um, in, in the UK. We we started one in in England. There's another one in Scotland um, and in America, and so on. So it's it's you know there are these things which 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 tie us together of course there are associations of, of lay people who support the traditional mass um these associations operate at national level they're linked together internationally um you know we, we have these get-togethers um and it's 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 not that we haven't done anything um it, it, it'd be nice if we did more um but we all have 
other things. You know, we all have, um, we're not like a religious community where we can devote ourselves to these sorts of things. Nearly everyone who's involved has a full-time job doing something else, or perhaps they're retired. Um, so um, nevertheless, it's, it's um, I think people who are getting involved, maybe listening to this, thinking about the, the traditional Catholic media and you know, what's it like and, and, and you know, are we so isolated? Well, if you want to get involved in things, then come to these events, you know, come, to, come along and you'll meet people. You'll get to know them over the course of a three-day walking pilgrimage in a conference, um, in, in you know your local your local celebration um, and and local community, um, and you will find a network. Actually, um, it's 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 already there to some extent, and maybe we should do more. Maybe we can do more, but it's it's within the limitations of the way that we're scattered um, around. There is a lot going on, um, and rather than you know complaining about. How much, it, how much how good it would be for there to be more you know we should we should make the most of what we do have and make that more um than than it is and that's certainly always been my my feeling about it i suppose that for any of any person any catholic in the western country this is something really providential that you have there and uh uh, I, I will I'll, uh, make your invitation and uh, uh, based on uh, all the events that you have mentioned, uh, even bold, and I'll uh, encourage everyone to, to be involved in those events, especially as someone uh, who is usually not able to go there. I, I participated in, some event, in such events just because uh, some sponsored paid for us. Usually for us, it's very difficult to go uh, in, in, in such uh, places. Yeah. And I suppose that, and I would like that someone who, who uh, is listening our conversation uh, can understand that's a privilege that you have to use to have access at such places, at such parishes, at such churches where uh, the liturgy of the ages is proposed and where such events um, happen again and again. And you have to use this privilege and you have to help other people to get there and to get involved because without these associations, uh, actually, we wouldn't have this conversation, Joseph. Is yes. it true? <laughs> I suppose that's yes, true. It's, it's true. And I, I, I think, and I, I, I'm sure I speak for, for everyone who's closely involved in the traditional mass and, and, and activities surrounding it, the media, um, as we might call it, is I, I've, I've lost friends over it, um, but I've gained many, many friends. Um, and, and I hugely value the, the connections I've made, the friendships I've made um, through the mass, because it gives me something in common with them, which I did not have with uh, and the people I was at school with, the people I was at university with, um, um, you know, even my extended family, <clears throat> because it—it's it, the mass. Um, it, it, it has so much in it. Everything actually. Yes, <laughs> everything indeed. is there. 
I mean, there are there are people, of course, one does occasionally <laughs> people who like the traditional mass. Oh, well, that's just a mass, but I don't really accept, you know, and then here there comes out kind of a list of things they don't. But it actually, it's very unusual. It's very unusual to find people like that. Um, nearly always, you know, if someone likes traditional mass, you know, and, and they've been going to it for, for, for a significant period of time, they'll have absorbed an acceptance of the whole of tradition. We could argue about, you know, controversial aspects of it, of course, but you, I, they've done a survey about this to this effect in, in America. You, you know, you go to an ordinary nervous order mass and ask Catholics about contraception, divorce, and, and they're hardly distinguishable from the general population. But you go to the traditional mass, and suddenly it's a very, very different picture. Yes, yes, and, absolutely. And and I would say also, it's not self-selecting. It's not the most conservative Catholics go to traditional mass because the most conservative Catholics like traditional mass. It's all sorts of people start going to traditional mass. It changes them. Absolutely. It yeah. actually has an effect on them. I, I can't, you know, prove that in this moment, you know, on, the, on a podcast. I think people, but if you, you know, anyone who listens to this wants to, you know, test that, just go along ask people about their backgrounds that you find at the traditional mass. How do they come to accept um, churches, you know, quote unquote, difficult teachings um, and just see what they say. Yeah. So there's something else before we end, which I want to ask, which is a seems to me a kind of parallel to the, what we were saying about asceticism and family life. And that's about spirituality um, and, and, and particularly contemplative prayer and the traditional mass. Because as we were saying about asceticism, it comes in, a certain form of asceticism comes in with a family life, particularly with a large family. Um, in the same way, and, that, and that's of course, it's one of the great ideals of you know, Catholic spirituality, asceticism, and people find that a bit scary perhaps, but actually, it's when you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning by a you know a small child whose whose who's teeth are coming through, yeah. Um, then it's it's no joke. It really is, and it's something which you can come to love. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's in in a way it's a nightmare, but actually you because it's positive, it's you want to comfort this child. You know, it's not just something that annoys you, because you love the child, um, and there's something similar. With something else, another aspect of Catholic spirituality, but I think is frightening to, to people. I mean, a little bit frightening, and that's con contemplation. You know, we read about contemplative prayer, mental prayer, and it's kind of, oh, this is only for the experts, you know, <laughs> this is only for monks. Um, but actually, um, the traditional mass has a connection with that, which I think is, which is worth drawing out. Let's say this very plainly, Joseph. The, the liturgy of the ages, the liturgy of Pius V, the liturgy of Pope Gregory the Great is the, the, a contemplative liturgy. Yes. So this is an axiom. This is everything about the liturgy. It's the most important thing that we can say about the Holy Mass. So if we are getting involved and if, we, if you really learn more and more how to participate actively at the Holy Mass. And I, I, I am not using this word actively, uh, just randomly. It's important because this is the real meaning of the active participation to, uh, on, on the Holy Mass. 
is the contemplation, the prayer, but the prayer at the highest levels of the prayer and the silence, the ambient, the, the way of priests to do sacred gestures and things and all the symbols that are implied there and they are present there. Everything actually helps you to get involved in an active act of contemplation. And that's actually a school of contemplation, I would say. And I can just mention, because it comes into my mind right now, uh, the introduction into the devout life, into the pious life of St. Francis of Sales, mm. uh, the so-called uh, Philothia. Uh, it's one of his capital works. And in this writing, St. Joseph teaches uh, uh, Philothia. He, uh, actually, that was a lady who asked uh, the saint uh, different advices, different uh, questions about different issues, religious issues. And in some of his pages, he teaches uh, both that lady in that age, but us too nowadays, how to meditate when you are in the context of the Holy Mass, how to, uh, how to realize a sort of inner liturgy in your heart when you are participating at the Holy Mass. And that's crucial. Because that, that's the subjective dimension, actually, of the sacrifice of the Holy Mass. And that's something that must be learned and practiced. Why? Because in this way, we really become involved deeply and more deeply in the Holy Mass. And that's an act of contemplation. Because you cannot do that without contemplating the mysteries that are proposed to you. And that's the mystery of the mysteries, the sacrifice on the altar of the Holy Liturgy. And that's why the Liturgy of Pope Gregory the Great, the Liturgy of the Ages, with all the elements that are involved in it, helps us to become real contemplative prayers. And it's not something just for professionists, so to say, just for monks or just for priests. No, there are different levels, it is true. And it is true that we cannot compare ourselves, even we practice uh, at a certain level, the contemplative prayer with someone as was St. Theories of um, uh, Avila. That's for sure. That was uh, the highest possible level of prayer. But at the same time, even we are at an inferior level, we are just beginners, we are just novices, we have to do that. And that's the best way to participate at the Holy Mass. That's actually the active way of participating at the Holy Mass. Not uh, through, I don't know what kind of dances or weird things that we can see on many recordings of uh, Novus Ordo Masses. Some of them are really outrageous <laughs> and completely inappropriate to the Holy Mass. No, it's not about having a sort of um, party together. No, it's not at all. It's something that has to touch our heart, our inner person. And we have to help that happen. And that's doing by meditation. And meditation doesn't mean Buddhist meditation or Oriental. I don't know what kind of Oriental form of meditation. Meditation for us means an uh, usage of our mind. We use our minds to think when we pray. So it's uh, somehow 
a simultaneous act. We think and pray, we pray and think, and we ask God to help us to get deeper, as deeper as possible, into the holy mysteries of the holy liturgy and of our faith. And that's a concrete act, and we can help it. There are many manuals written by um, uh, masters of spiritual life, like let's just name the Venerable Luis of Granada. That's one of the greatest, strongly recommended by St. Theories of Avila. So Venerable Luis of Granada is translated in English. I have his books in English and in Spanish, and some of them in Latin, but it is translated in English. So he uh, wrote and published some books precisely about, uh, about the meditation, meditative prayer. So, or, for instance, St. Alphonsus Mary of Liguori has an extraordinary useful book, a sort of short manual just for novices and beginners, with everything in it. It's about, um, uh, about uh, uh, last things. It's a sort of a series of meditations just about last things. And it's extremely helpful because it really can get you converted just by practicing what St. Alphonsus presents you. And it is translated in English too. So someone who really wants to become involved in the liturgy of the ages has, must, ought to learn to meditate. It's, it's mandatory. Why? Because it's the best way to fight against bad thoughts and against the chaos that sometimes it's inside us. And I'm, I'm sure that anybody knows what does that mean to, to want to pray. I used to pray. I, I, I just stay in the proper position and I start to pray. And immediately in my mind, there are thousands and thousands of thoughts that are not related to the prayer. It's a sort of mini chaos there. And it's very hard to get focused. It's a very hard fight. That's why spiritual master usually, masters usually say that the most difficult fight is prayer, especially when it's about highest levels of prayer as uh, meditative prayer or contemplative prayer. It's really difficult. It's true, but cannot be otherwise because of our fallen nature. And at the same time, there is no other way. We have to learn that. And we have to have a deep inner life and this is the only way to get it. And the Holy Mass of the ages was precisely encoded by many saints to help us in order to get used to contemplate the divine mysteries of our faith. And it's something crucial to understand that. It's, it, it is really introducing us into the paradise that's why many fathers of the church, I, I love that. Many fathers of the church, you, I, I, I can immediately produce a lot of quotes, but maybe uh, it's not the proper time for that. But I just mentioned the main idea. When we are participating at the Holy Mass in a very mysterious manner, we are in paradise. Yes, we yes. are together with all the spiritual beings that are present, the angels and the, 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 the old uh, persons that are described in the apocalypse of saint john the evangelist the book of revelation the, the last book of the yes, bible yes. exactly uh, in the front of god uh, that celestial holy mass that's yeah, uh, yeah. cosmic liturgy as saint maximus the confessor uses to say that's the cosmic liturgy it's the act of worshiping god it's an act of adoration of god that's 
done by spiritual beings. And actually, we are doing precisely that at every Mass. Yes. So that's yes. extraordinarily important. And that's contemplation. Yes. We have to learn how to contemplate. And the Holy Mass of the Ages helps us to do precisely that. Yes, indeed. I mean, there's a, even, even those who don't, <clears throat> don't have a kind of formal education, this, they're not necessarily reading um, the books you've mentioned, which I'm sure are, are very helpful, but you know, even this, 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 what we might call the simple faithful, they're not as, as, as you know, often you know, the liturgical progressives have said, oh, well, they were completely shut out uh, but, um, of, of you know, the spirituality of the church because they weren't jumping up and down, making responses, um, waving up their arms, writing um, you know, their own uh, bidding prayers, all those sorts of things. In fact, none of those things are of, of, of any real um, significance. I, I have a, a nice quotation. I think this is a very good moment to, to, to draw this to an end, but I, I just want to give this little quotation from Father Brian Houghton, um, who I think I've mentioned in our, our, our previous conversations, um, who was a, a Catholic priest in England on the eve of the council um, and um, left his um, left his parish, retired, took retirement, um, rather than start celebrating the, the, the reformed mass. Um, and he, he, um, he wrote um, a novel called Mice and Crook, and I'd like to say it's been reprinted recently. Um, and he wrote these words. Um, these are words in the mouth of the main character, who's a bishop, talking about the traditional mass <clears throat> in his experience. He says, some meditate for a moment, uh, but soon give up. Some thumb a prayer book without much conviction. Some finger a rosary without thinking. The majority just sit and kneel and become empty. Hmm. They have their distractions, of course, but as far as they are able, they are recollected. You see, the state of prayer of the overwhelming majority of the faithful is that of simple regard. Human activity is reduced to its minimum. Then the miracle occurs at the fine apex of their souls, imperceptible even to themselves. The Holy Ghost starts making little shrieks of Abba, Father, or after the consecration, soft groans of the Holy Name, Jesu, Jesu. Hmm. They adore, or rather, to be more accurate, the Holy Ghost adores within them. No, this is amazing, Joseph. Let me say this. This is amazing. It's an extraordinary passage. It's absolutely extraordinary, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I think so too. I mean, everyone should read that book. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And his other novel, um, Judas Marriage, which has also um, been, been reprinted. But um, Robert, from you and I, I think um, we, 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 must, we must let our, our listeners off the hook now um, and say our goodbyes. Um, I hope you'll join me again in the future. Um, and um, with that, I will, um, um, I hope that listeners will take the trouble to rate the IOTA Unum podcasts, subscribe to them, um, and spread the word about them. Um, thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Um, goodbye. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the Latin Mass Society. We hope you enjoyed it and would appreciate your rating and podcast on the platform you are using. You'll find some more information and links relating to the talk in the show notes, which you can see on a page dedicated to the IOTA Unum podcast series on our website. 
The Latin Mass Society promotes the celebration of an ancient Latin liturgy of the Catholic Church in England and Wales, organising masses and training events and defending and explaining the liturgical tradition in the context of the Catholic liturgy and thought. If you would like to find out more, do visit our website and consider joining us.